will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude. You just blew my mind. Tim Foyle hat, Tim Foyle hat, Tim Foyle hat, Tim Foyle. And welcome to another special episode. A very, very special episode, Tim Foyle hat. Joining me live in the bunker, a uh, good friend, off the grid. Don't try to contact him because you can't. Please welcome Ryan Davis, everybody. Yes. Ryan, yes. thank you. And as always, the guy who refuses to, to accept the knowledge that we are serving up hot and spicy Aaron, everybody. I'm just not thirsty for this knowledge. Yes, you are. Uh, a, a lot of great stuff going on. Guys, thank you so much for all the kind words on Tinfoil Hat. You guys are loving it. We're trying to uh, get the best and the brightest on the show, and it's been going really well. We have a great show today. We'll get into that, guys. And then we have uh, an awesome show next week. We're going to dive into uh, Making of a Murderer. We got uh, a guy named Cameron coming on. Uh, I believe it's John Cameron. He he has a whole theory on who actually killed uh, the woman in Making a Murderer. We're going to get to that. And then we're in discussions with Freeway Ricky Ross to discuss the crack epidemic of the 80s and how it applies to the opiate epidemic that's going on right now. Uh, if you really want him on, tweet him. He's he's thinking about it. He's going to Skype in, so let's, let's let him know that he'd be more than welcome on the show. I am going to be at the St. Louis Funny Bone this weekend, all week, from Wednesday to Sunday. We're going to be doing, uh, I'm playing the St. Louis Funny Bones, so come out and rock. Tickets available at St. Louis Funny Bone. Dot com And then next week, I'm in Ohio at Cuyahoga Falls at the Funny Stop. All those all those dates are on samtriplee.com. Guys, we, what's going on? You turn it down a little bit? Okay. Uh, the Twitter account for this thing, I lost my phone. My old phone fell, dropped, committed honorable seppuku, and killed itself. So I couldn't get into the old Twitter account. I'm working on it right now. We have a new Twitter account. It's called Mad Hatter 39ers. Go to it real quick. I'll show it to you. I should have it up here, but I don't because I'm working on a bunch of other things. So that's it. Ryan, any any thoughts real quick? Oh, man, I'm still riding high from last week. I'm feeling more American than ever. Yeah, we yeah. went. We shot guns. You can see all that on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com backslash Sam Tripoli. But enough of us. Let's get to our guest. Our guest is a uh, a courageous journalist. He's a good friend. Uh, I did his podcast a long time ago, uh, about three or four years ago. And since then, he's gone on to do some pretty amazing things. Please welcome to the stage the founder of FulcrumMedia.com. Please welcome David Seaman, everybody. Thank you for having me on, Sam. And it's great to uh, great to finally catch up. It has been a few quick years. It's been a uh, while. Yeah, Fulcrum, Fulcrum uh, just to clarify, FulcrumNews.com is the uh, website. FulcrumNews.com. Thank you for coming on. Super excited. David, the places you have gone and the people you have seen has been pretty amazing. Uh, congratulations on everything going on. Thank you. Yeah, uh, congrats to you as well on upgrading to a new interactive youtube show i think uh you know for a comedian it's awesome to have 
video too so people can actually see your facial expressions from the the shooting range you guys are recording in uh tell me why were you shooting guns last week before you interviewed me i'm just really curious about that um <laughs> ryan is this interesting guy who came into my life through our uh just uh personal recovery stuff and we've been good friends ever since then and we're kind of amigos and he's like you want to shoot guns and i'm like it's not really in my wheelhouse i'll go try it and we went down to it and the minute you start shooting guns you're like i could be a dictator i could be running everything <laughs> i could be the champion and i really enjoyed it and it really like opened my eyes to a lot of things and, and I just enjoy it. Th uh, your thoughts on guns and the Second Amendment? What's your take on the whole thing? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a gun nut, but I support the Second Amendment. Uh, you know, just from a common sense point of view. Uh, I live in Colorado, and uh, you know, I used to live in LA, of course, back when I interviewed you. Uh, and you know, Colorado and Texas and some other states. Uh, these are known as states where you know they say an armed society is a polite society. And maybe it's kind of a, you know, hack meme thing to say, but uh, they say there's never been a terror attack or a mass shooting, uh, mass shooting at a NASCAR event ever. Hmm. So, uh, you know, an armed society is a polite society, I think. And at least, you know, other towns in Colorado I've been to and uh, definitely places I've visited in Texas, there's a real kind of respect between men. Like you bump into somebody in line at Starbucks, you say, excuse me. Uh, whereas I've been in New York and places like that where nobody has a gun, right, unless you're a criminal. Somebody bumps in and you're like, fuck you, dude. What do you, what's your issue? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to get to the bathroom, right? So there is there is a difference in culture, and I don't I don't dislike it. I never thought I'd say this, but Second Amendment-wise, I don't dislike it. Well, I, I think there's also a, a real important key to talk about when it comes to the Second Amendment is the notion that when people talk about regulating guns and maybe disarming the population due to, uh, you know, spree shootings and mass murder, is that they never discuss the fact that all these other societies or, or these countries where nobody, the population does have guns, the police officers don't have guns either. It's on both sides. Both sides disarm under the notion that we're going to all work it out together, talk it out, and no one's going to be... No one's going to be armed to the teeth. Now, I was kind of like, you know, for gun regulation up until the North Dakota pipeline thing happened. And you just saw this these military police armed to the teeth come in cracking skulls to peaceful protesters. And, I, you know, I, I one time they, they when they were they were uh, launching this new weapon, which kind of uh, it was a weapon of sound where it hits you with radar and it messed up your brain or your hearing or your heart or something like that. And they, there was a demonstration video. And I remember watching this video and the people that had the protesters, the evil guys, they were people literally in the, in this video, they were holding up signs that said, peace, <laughs> no war. And I'm like, why are you using on those people? And then I realized what was going on. That it was like, let's control these people. Arming of the police is not a good thing. In my opinion. Thoughts, David, on that? Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I support a strong police force. I think we could see more civil unrest for a variety of reasons in the years ahead. And uh, so I, I support having a strong police. And uh, that means lethal force, but no, the North Dakota pipeline thing, we saw a lot of abuses of power and I wouldn't say that's why I support the second amendment at all, but 
I think in general, you know, it's great too for, uh, so I've been kind of labeled a member of the alt-right, even though I'm not, I just, you know, hang out with some of these people, but it's actually women who are leading the kind of like rebrand of the second amendment, uh, to an extent, because, you know, you don't get raped and mugged in a parking lot. If you have even a small little pink nine millimeter, you know, a snub nose nine millimeter in your purse, that still kills a man, right? So right. I've seen more and more women like push this kind of self-defense, personal liberty uh, narrative around gun ownership. And so I think that's what makes a lot of people think about it from a new perspective. You know, you know me, I used to live in L.A. I smoke weed. I used to write for the Huffington Post. Like, I'm not a guy who, by default, is really turned on by, you know, a wall of AK-47s or something. But uh, I, I see that, that the Founding Fathers, in many ways, were smart people. Just like when you're playing around on your MacBook and you have this moment where you're like, holy shit, Steve Jobs is a smart guy. Uh, there are moments where I think about how this country was designed, and I feel that way. We're like, as many problems as there are today, uh, they really gave us some tools that are, like, big tools, Right. Right. So I think in the I think in the UK they're kind of fucking up by being so afraid of guns because it's like the bad people aren't afraid. You know, the bad people aren't afraid of running you over in a truck. So why are the good people so afraid? You know, if some if some guy in Colorado or Texas can figure out gun ownership in two hours, if you know a couple of guys in LA can go to a shooting range as you guys did, and I think it's open to anybody. Yeah. But I, I, I don't want to be like an NRA. I don't want to be like an NRA spokesperson here. I just think it's yet another area where the mainstream media has given us like less than half of the story. And now many of us are like, huh, is that actually true? Our guns. I bad, can't right? agree so, with you more. I can't agree with you more. Uh, one thing that we both noticed, we kind of commented as we were enjoying shooting our guns was how many women were there with their men on dates. And then oh, when yeah. I brought it up to my girlfriend, I go, listen, you know, we're at the gun rate. She got so pissed that I didn't bring her. And it was really? like the notion that gun rights is just a guy thing and, and girls, uh, you know, the, the whole notion with the election. And then we'll get into a, a whole I, I know that people listen to this podcast, want to stay on one topic. But I, I feel with David, we I, I just want to explore your thoughts. And it's more podcasts about you. So we're going to be on a, a, a bunch of topics because you are uh, an expert in a bunch of topics. So, But I feel that, like this notion that uh, like women are just delicate flowers and they don't, they, they, you know, and they're just all super liberal. And the notion that if you didn't vote for Hillary, you are anti-woman and you're, you're like some Benedict Arnold if you have a vagina and you didn't vote for her. And it's like that to me is such a sexist statement. And it's like the notion that a woman can't look at another woman and understand when she's a Sith Lord is just ridiculous. And it's just like she lost the vote <laughs> because she is a Sith Lord and that women right. realize that I'm not just voting for you because you have a snatch. No, if, if what, you know, some of the stuff that uh, some of the stuff that I've covered and other journalists have covered uh, over the last five or six months uh, you know, largely based on her WikiLeaks, which she was incompetent about getting her emails hacked somehow. Uh, if that stuff came out about Trump, as much as I, you know, like the guy, I interviewed him six years ago, I voted for him. If the same kind of shit came out, I wouldn't be like, look, this guy is a man. We have to support this man in power. I'd be like, no, get the fuck out, right? Like, uh, so no, it, it was really kind of unacceptable to me to see some female friends, even some in the media, uh, cave into that women's march stuff where it's like she has a vagina it's her turn says who right well, that's why we have elections just saying it's her turn over and over again 
doesn't decide something. Like we actually do a mathematical thing, like a nonviolent battle every four years to see who should lead. And it wasn't her. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, if you uh, actually look at the women's after Geraldine Ferraro, after that, if you actually look at the women who have ever ran for vice president or president in both the major parties, they are batshit crazy. They're, in my opinion, Mar Michelle Bachman, Hillary <laughs> Clinton, uh, Cindy, what's her name, who, who, who ran that fucking company, uh, the Dell or whatever major... Oh, HP, Carly Fiorina. Yeah, I mean, they're crazy. You haven't. I'm. 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 I'm looking you in the camera. Uh, whoever's watching this on YouTube and listening, give me somebody to vote for. Give me someone who isn't one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and I will vote for her. I will be sex enough just to vote for her on fucking the more that she's a chicken. If you just give me someone who's sensible, like not a. Queen. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the country is definitely ready for a female president, uh, just not her, and also like. This notion that the media tried to, you know, I think they, they played this one to get us to support Hillary. For like the past couple of years, there's been this notion that there's this epic glass ceiling and no woman can reach the White House or like the, the halls of power. Okay, like there are female senators, there are plenty of female members of Congress. Of course, you know, internationally, uh, Margaret Thatcher, you go back further in time, you know, historical figures like Cleopatra. It's not as if we don't know what happens when a woman's in power, right? There are some people who furthered this kind of ridiculous idea that peace will come once we have a vagina in the White House. Peace <laughs> will come. Well, we've had plenty of female leaders, and they're the same pretty much as the men. 100%. Uh, look, at the queen, look at the Queen of England, right? She's clung on to power forever uh, and hasn't, you know, given it to the next generation yet, to her children. Uh, so women can be just as selfish and just as evil as men. I'm not saying the Queen of England is evil. I'm just saying that that woman hangs on to power, She's right? She's part of it. <laughs> She's part of it. Committee 300. <laughs> but let me, uh, and, and talk about the media, talk about your new website and why you started it and basically a, a, a little uh, breakdown on it because I'm super excited for you for this whole thing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I was with... Uh, you know, a couple of friends at the Deplore Ball in January in D.C. And uh, before I went to that, I went out to dinner with some friends and we were talking about how uh, the media is basically broken, right? There are TVs on in the restaurant hanging, you know, up above us and just blasting what we what we would describe as propaganda. Like 100 percent uh, trying to shit on this guy like the night before his inauguration. Uh, and so we're looking at this and my friends and I are like, the media is broken. We got to do something. So fulcrum is something that me and a backer thought up. And then the backer started to see some of the heat I was taking for covering what's known as pedogate. Now we're going to get uh, into that. Yeah. So, uh, he saw some of the heat I was taking for that and decided he wanted to know part of it and, uh, relinquished rights to me. So now I own this news website. Uh, we no longer have, you know, the funding or the, the business path that we would have had. Uh, the original plan was to be an independent TV, uh, independent TV network, and be syndicated and all this stuff, kind of like a a new current TV, yeah, or uh, or a Huffington Post Live, something like that. That was the feel we were going for. Uh, so that part has obviously been, you know, we've pulled the plug on that because we don't have the resources. But what we do have is a 24/7 news blog that me and a couple of other contributors uh, have admin access to, and we're always putting real news up there, and it's actually ad free. So uh, our, the way our business model works 
is not to cram ads down your throat and not to, you know, get financing from people like George Soros. Yeah. The plan is actually just to serve people the news and become kind of like the Google of news over time where it's like, oh, I'm getting the news. I'm not getting somebody's opinion. Yeah. It is our opinion. It's so obvious it's our opinion, right? Let me so, uh, do you feel that there? you're talking about propaganda? And by the way, me and my girlfriend, and I love my girlfriend, almost break up every night, literally almost break up when I come home and she is watching CNN or MSNBC and I beg her not to. And like what she does is when she hears me coming home, she she's scrambling to find the remote, like almost when your girlfriend walks in and you're watching porn and you're like, oh, turn it off, not looking at that, not looking at that. So she struggles to find it. And I want to know, and I was talking to, uh, while we were preparing for this, I was talking to Ryan about it, about, do you see any similarities between these bombings in England to the police shooting in uh, the United States leading up to the election in this weird kind of way where elections getting closer and closer, all of a sudden there's just this chaos that if you look at the shootings that we haven't seen since this happened, since the election was over, but suddenly there were just black militant men shooting cops left and right, and now there hasn't really been anything close to this. Yeah, I haven't really thought much about that, uh, but... It does seem like, uh, you know, Trump ran on a law and order platform and definitely some of the more right wing outlets. Uh, you know, in many ways now I consider myself more right wing just because, you know, on things like gun rights and on things like weed and on a number of limited government things, I'm almost like a more conservative. Are you anti weed or pro weed? No, I'm, I'm pro weed but from a limited government point of view. Right. Like they shouldn't be Regular. telling us. Yeah. We can't smoke a plant. Right. I agree. with so, that. Uh, yeah, so I, I haven't thought much about that angle, but I do think some of the right-wing media in the months before the election definitely played up this Blue Lives Matter uh, kind of law and order thing where it's like the inner cities are, are being, you know, torched and everybody's a criminal now and we need somebody to be the, the new sheriff in town where Obama has been kind of the anything-goes, uh, you know, guy. Right. Uh, so I think there was kind of a... A narrative in some outlets and I don't know if there was an actual uptick or if it was just more coverage to make people concerned about that uh, I couldn't tell you without looking into it more you know uh, final thing on on and we'll get we'll get back at what I want to talk to you about there's two subjects but do you find it weird that we haven't seen the footage yet of the bombing of Manchester we've seen the guy driving they already released the the uh, footage of the guy driving in London and hitting people, that footage has already been released, but yet no footage of anything going on in Manchester in terms of the bombing. We hear a distant boom somewhere, but we don't see any footage. And I, I, it's very interesting. I did a show uh, at the comedy store. I got off stage, and this girl came out. And she's like, oh, you were so funny. I'm like, and she had an accent. I'm like, where are you from? She goes, Manchester. I go, can I ask you a question? She goes, yes. Does Manchester have cameras on every corner? And she goes, yeah, 100% all over the place. I go, why haven't we seen footage of this bombing yet? And she goes, she stopped and she thought, and she goes, I don't know. And it's so interesting because we have already seen the footage of the guy driving and hitting people and going crazy in London. Any thoughts on that? Uh, my guess is that there will be footage that comes out because... You know, that woman you talked to is right. Uh, the U.K. is very much uh, a, uh, you know, uh, closed-circuit camera civilization. They have cameras everywhere. 
their whole country is like a 7-Eleven, basically, in the sense that there's always a camera watching you. And actually, in the in the wake of this this Manchester attack, uh, their prime minister, uh, she's pushing for like total v for vendetta uh, v for vendetta style surveillance of the yeah. UK internet. And the wake of this, like storing your records completely. So, like, you know how after you go on the porn website, yes, which I've done a go million on, times. After you go on eBay and you bid on some Star Wars cards for like six hours, uh, you clear your history, uh, and then it's gone from your computer. Of course, if the NSA really has a concern about you, they have it forever. But from a legal perspective, it's not like the simple everyday authorities can then grab your history unless they have unless they have a prior warrant and they've already been watching your internet activity but this is like anybody by default if you live in the uk uh now the government will have a record of every website you visit basically forever by default so let's say you click on the wrong link well they're going to know about that forever that you were on some weird craigslist ad (laughs) at three in the morning that's always going to be there even if you're not somebody who's under investigation and super creepy because like Years ago, people talked, you know, when the NSA stuff was coming out, there were concerns about, like, if we know we're being spied on, are people still going to speak out against, you know, Obama or the Clintons or Trump or whoever it is that's in power? Would people still speak out knowing that all their dirty laundry is on a government server somewhere? Well, this is even worse because, like, now your Internet history is by default something that, you know, the normal police in the U.K. can look through. It's insane. It is insane. And, and I'm not I'm not in favor of doing shady things on the Internet. But I think, you know, obviously, like if you're searching for a medical condition, if you're emailing your girlfriend, yeah. if you're looking at if you're looking at adult entertainment, if you're engaged in, you know, private business discussions for your right. company, all these things should be really nowhere close to being archived forever. So what I find interesting and I want to get into Bitcoin is how like people will say I've got nothing to hide. And you're like, okay, that still doesn't mean they should be going through your stuff. Like, I think people look at their computer different than they look at their house. And I would tell you that your computer is probably more important to you than what's actually in your house. So if I said to you, hey, man, the government just wants to walk into your house and start sifting through all your shit, people would be uproared. They would be going nuts. You can't do that. That's the Fourth Amendment, which, by the way, the Supreme Court just basically, in a weird way, nullified it but based on this court case in Los Angeles because these two cops went these people's house without warrants and shot these dudes and they were getting sued and now the supreme court said oh they can do that which is uh, nullifying the fourth amendment but people would flip out if they knew that the government could just walk in their house and start looking through all their shit just because you're not doing something doesn't mean they should have the right to go through your stuff and by the way every major catastrophe that's happened in terms of quote-unquote terrorism the government knew something so they didn't need to gather the information. They already knew it's like whether they acted on that information or not. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we know that, uh, for example, bin Laden, we know that his uh, satellite phone was surveilled and listened to by the NSA for years before 9-11. Uh, we know that bin Laden was on the radar, right? It just he wasn't, I guess, enough on the radar. But, uh, yeah, that, that's been the concern is, like, we've had this kind of all-seeing global surveillance state now for decades uh, really came online I think during the Clinton administration and has just been growing ever since uh, WikiLeaks released a bunch of disturbing stuff a while ago uh, that revealed what's known as the five eyes so there are five Western powers 
I believe it's the United States, New Zealand, Australia, the United Kingdom. Uh, one more. I Canada? Say Canada. Canada? Yeah, I want to say Canada. But basically, like, all these Western powers that are supposed to be democracies, that are supposed to be free societies, they've developed these deep states of people who are basically permanent, unelected bureaucrats at the intelligence services, you know, at the CIA, at the NSA. And when the president changes, when somebody gets voted out, or when, you know, party politics changes and one party falls out of favor and the other party becomes more popular again, nothing changes within this group of people who are just always there, always there spying on the rest of us. And so uh, that's a relatively new thing. And it's a very disturbing thing because uh, even though this is a new tool that our society has, the attacks have not stopped, right? They have like all seeing surveillance where are they before any of these bombings? They're, if this is the purpose of this stuff, it's a total failure. If the purpose is to prevent terrorism, then global surveillance has been an absolute fail, right? Right. Well, no, well my whole thing is, I've said this before, I don't know if this is your opinion, but it's 100% my opinion, that we create the boogeyman so people beg us to save us from the boogeyman. And it's you see it in the war on drugs, you see it in the war on terror, man. It's just like there is this this whole thing about the CIA, and uh, shout out to all the CIA and NSA people watching and listening right now. We appreciate your subscriptions. Um they are. They have a hand in so much of this that it's just. I just see it happen over and over again, man. The, you know, now we find out that uh, Pablo Escobar was a fucking CIA asset, and that he was flying drugs into where Arkansas during the eighties. Who's fucking the president? Who's the governor of Arkansas? Bill Clinton. I mean, like it's it's just. Well, like- look, what about well, what about uh, what about it recently coming out that Gloria Steinem, you know, the sort of mother of modern American feminism. Uh, that she was a CIA asset. Oh she was my suspended. God! So, I mean, these these people for decades have been involved in social engineering. You know, and we don't even know what the root of feminism was in terms of like obviously like feminism is a real thing. But then there's been a form of feminism where it's just like more division politics, and it appears neoliberalism, the CIA, right? Would you say neoliberalism? The CIA has their hand even in that, and of course we know <laughs> that they funded they funded a lot of the modern art in the '60s because yeah. it was be kind of an anti-communist uh you know social propaganda thing so there's a lot of weird stuff where if you trace it back it actually goes to these unelected people who again just sit in these office buildings in virginia pretty much forever uh, regardless of who's elected yeah well uh full disclosure david i've been uh, accused of being a gay jew freemason shill so just to let you know that uh i've been accused of that speaking of (laughs) of uh, stuff I really want to hit you up is about, and I'm very interested in this, is Bitcoin. I I don't know what Bitcoin is. When Bitcoin came out, I, I literally thought it was those uh, coins that Super Mario jumps to get in the video right. games. And I thought you get a bunch of that and you get you get enough of them. You get a princess. What is Bitcoin, man? And, and, and I want you to take me through this whole thing because I'm very interested in, in investing it. When I heard if you bought in a Bitcoin when it first started at $100, you'd have $76 million right now. So you have my attention. Talk to me about Bitcoin. Okay, so Bitcoin... Uh... Bitcoin's interesting because the financial crisis happens, right? 2008, uh, people lose an enormous amount of money. Uh, stock market is crashing and 
then they do the bailouts, all this kind of uh, public money, all this taxpayer money in a very shady fashion. 100%. Uh, quickly, quickly goes to these banks, you know, trillions of dollars quickly goes to these banks with almost no questions asked because we're told it's a matter of basically national security. Too right? big like to fail. Gonna, yeah, too big to fail. The economy is going to fall apart unless we provide a new infusion of capital for these criminals. And uh, so the very next year, uh, in January 2009, Bitcoin is launched uh, without much fanfare at the time and it's clear that it's either launched by a genius or a group of geniuses uh, in the crypto community uh, cryptography is a subset of computer science which uses uh, you know the overwhelming security of cryptography of certain kinds of mathematics uh, to secure transactions and so this guy uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is the pen name that he releases Bitcoin under that's his pseudonym, is Satoshi Nakamoto. But again, we have no idea who this person is to this day, uh, eight years later. Uh, we don't know uh, who Satoshi is, if he was one man or a group of developers. Uh, he released a white paper, which is still up on the internet at bitcoin.org uh, slash bitcoin.pdf, I believe. His original white paper explaining exactly how it works and you know, taking people under the hood of how it validates transactions and what it actually does, that's still up online. And uh, that's what he gave the world was this currency system that was totally out of left field. Nobody requested it. Nobody thought it was something that we needed. But the way it works is that it mines coins over time. And like Super Mario coins, they're digital, right? They're not in the real world. They exist on the internet. Uh, on people's computers, you store your private keys which is like a password, basically. It gives you the ability uh, to move your coins or to send your coins to somebody else. Uh, and so this weird invention that he came out with eight years later is still running more or less perfectly. You know, there have been countless attempts to outlaw it, to uh, kind of slam it as being linked to illegal stuff. And there have been numerous... The dark web, a lot it. of talk about the dark yeah, web. Yeah, lot of, a lot of linking it to that, but also just a lot of technical attacks on it, trying to destroy it. And nobody has been able to take down this currency, which uh, it mines coins over time. They're digital. They're not physical coins. And there's a limit on them. So there will only ever be 21 million. And right now, like 16 point something million have been mined and are floating around our economy. Uh, and collectively, all those coins are worth, I believe, over $41 billion. So... Uh, it's very so there's only going to be a limited amount to them. So if you don't buy into them, you're out. Uh, it's not that you're out because a Bitcoin actually goes out to eight decimal places. So if Bitcoin were used by a lot more people, uh, it would just be a smaller amount of Bitcoin that people buy. But uh, no, there are only 21 million that will ever exist. And so uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, this guy uh, who created Bitcoin, he actually explained in one of his last posts uh, back in 2010, uh, he said, basically, like if you have a dull metal that is rare and doesn't do anything useful at all, but has one magical property, and that magical property is that you can instantly uh, transport it to another person over the internet anywhere in the world, then that dull metal, even though it's not attractive, right, yeah. it's just gray, even though it does nothing useful, if it were to gain use in the economy for any reason, even just as a kind of speculative collector's item, then you suddenly have this token that you can move back and forth to uh, represent value, which is really all we do with the dollar. It's all we do with the gold, gold coin and you can or even say a silver that. bar. 
or uh, diamonds. Diamonds. Yeah, exactly. Moving around perceived value. And so this guy created a coin that basically uh, cannot be hacked, right? If you choose a shitty password and somebody's uh, got malware on your computer, then they can steal your individual private keys and spend your Bitcoin. But nobody has actually hacked Bitcoin. Uh, once a transaction goes out, once it's broadcast, and once it gets a certain number of confirmations around the world uh, from a certain number of mining nodes, once that happens, that transaction is as good as done. It's basically carved in stone uh, from a computer science point of view. And then that person has their money. So like the big breakthrough there is you know, checks bounce a lot, PayPal freezes your money, and of course it's hard to send money to somebody in like India or China through PayPal. Here it's like once the money's sent, it's guaranteed that you'll have it in about 10 minutes or so uh, as long as you paid enough of a fee. The transaction fees of getting higher, they're getting higher because more people are using the thing. But basically, it's like, uh, so far, infallible money. It always works. Okay. So. Uh, you mentioned getting hacked and stealing. Now, there was a big uh, big hubbub, a big hollywood, uh, in, I believe in Hong Kong, was it, that somebody had stolen all the Bitcoins or stolen all. Was that just misinformation? Was that just propaganda to scare people off from investing into Bitcoin? Uh, there have been a number of hacks in the Bitcoin exchanges so one of the weak points of Bitcoin, I'd argue, is that you still need to go somewhere and exchange your U.S. dollars or your you know, Chinese currency or whatever. You still need to exchange that or hand over your credit card number and physically buy some Bitcoin or physically trade you know, some dollars for Bitcoins. And that's always been the weak point so far is that these exchanges, you know, they tend to hold thousands of Bitcoin so they can manage everybody's account. And it becomes a weak point where if somebody, you know, puts malware on that computer and gets that exchange's password, uh, they can drain the coins from them. And that's happened several times. The most famous one uh, was Mt. Gox in Japan. Yes. Uh, I think back back in 2013, that was a multi-million dollar loss. Uh, but again, it wasn't the network that was compromised. It was one business using Bitcoin, and their Bitcoins were stolen. Uh and so that's happened multiple times, but the Bitcoin network itself has been running very surprisingly well. I mean, whoever Satoshi was, he definitely thought through his invention. What else do we have that's running, you know, eight years continuously without being totally outdated, right? Well, so. I, I guess the argument would be like, okay, so yeah, they can hack into Bitcoin, but yeah, they can hack into your bank too and take all your money out of your bank. And, you know, that's kind of the argument right there, right? That. You know, nothing's 100% unhackable, even though the Bitcoin seems to be, after eight years, be standing up to this. Is this, uh, is this a movement to one-world currency? Uh, I don't think it's an intentional movement. I think that, uh, you know, because Bitcoin, uh, when you mine a Bitcoin in the U.S. or when you buy a Bitcoin in the U.S., within minutes, you can send that to somebody in China uh, in exchange for goods or services, right? Or vice versa. If somebody in China buys a Bitcoin, within a matter of minutes, they can send it to me as a tip because they like one of my videos or because they want my newsletter or something. So in that sense, like, yeah, it is a global currency. It's knocked down this barrier. Like, look, here's the U.S. dollar. Here's the problem with the U.S. dollar, in my opinion. One U.S. dollar, right? Right. So we'll ignore the fact that for now, for now we'll ignore the fact that on the back is... Uh, yeah. The seal of the all-seeing eye yeah. and some Latin at the bottom that says Noah's Ordo Seclorum. 
new world order. I uh, will ignore that for now. Uh, so here's the U.S. dollar. If I go up north to Canada or if I take a flight to Europe, this becomes unusable. It's like a region lock DVD. So yeah. I have to go to an exchange kiosk or I have to go to a bank and actually exchange this piece of paper for the local token that will be accepted by, you know, the citizens of Canada or the citizens of the EU right. or whatever. Right. So this is actually limited. And of course, no matter how hard I try, I can't I can't you know send this to you through my smartphone, even if I really want to. Uh, so this is actually quite limited. Uh, clearly, Bitcoin is operating as a kind of world currency. The question is, was it built by elites to enslave us or was it just a very smart guy who was pissed off in the wake of the financial crisis and was like, no, fuck this. I'll just rebuild the whole thing. I'll give people an option, too. And he basically built like, you know, the web browser was a breakthrough because suddenly anybody in their dorm in 10 minutes can learn how to code HTML, throw up a web page or blog. And then they're competing with Ariana Huffington and Matt Drudge, right? And the big people. Right. Uh, that was the breakthrough of the Internet and the web browser and all this. With Bitcoin, you can be in your dorm room, five minutes of reading, you figure out how to set up a Bitcoin miner, and you're suddenly a small part of this financial network that is, you know, every 10 minutes uh, confirming thousands of transactions. So uh, the question is, does it enrich elites or not? And I think they missed the boat on this one. Certainly, there are some people like the Winklevoss twins uh, who have a lot of Bitcoin, uh, and, and there are people like Mark Andreessen, a tech billionaire, uh, who ironically uh, was the co-founder of Netscape, one of the popular uh, web browsers back in the day. But uh, there are people like that who you could argue are elites, and they own you know zillions of dollars of Bitcoin probably. But uh, they're not the elites that I think most of us are concerned about. Right. right? I'm not worried about Mark Andreessen uh, forming a new world order on his Bitcoin wealth. I'm more worried about these handful of families that keep coming up. And that really have, you know, I've looked into this stuff to see if it's BS or not. A handful of families really have basically uh, mastered the currency game at the expense of the rest of us. Yep. And uh, they've been outed. You know, they've basically been outed. And Satoshi, uh, as far as I've been able to research, I could be wrong. Uh, he, was, he was either a disaffected person or a disaffected group of people who really wanted to give the, the public, the people, uh, a way to opt out, other than just being a gold hoarder, which... You know, I have many friends in the gold and silver, nothing wrong with gold and silver. I just am not 100% convinced that the gold and silver uh, story will ever resonate with millennials, right? If it's not on our smartphone, if it's not on our iPad, does it even exist? You know? Right. I <laughs> so, get so real quick, because I, I want to get into that gold and manipulation, some stuff you talked about, because it will be in our conversation on Pedogate. <clears throat> You sent me a website to do big to invest in the Bitcoin. Do you want to plug that real quick right now on the on, on the show? So if someone's listening, they want to look into that. Where would they go? Oh, oh yeah. So on Twitter, I believe you asked where would somebody go to buy Bitcoin. Yes. And my personal favorite right now uh, is Coinbase.com. Uh, they already have millions of customers, and they're based in San Francisco. Uh, so they're my favorite place to buy Bitcoin or other ones like Ether. Uh, and another place is BitPay. There's a smartphone app called BitPay, and you download that app, and then you can buy and sell Bitcoin from within that. Uh, I've tried both of those, and they both work very well, in my opinion. Okay, excellent. So thank now you talked about 
one family owning a lot of stuff. And I saw you put out something about the Rothschilds, um, which is so interesting because our last guest was very anti, uh, was very pro Rothschild. Do you remember we had that conversation? And I wanted to get your thoughts on the Rothschilds. So it's obviously uh, it's a big topic, but uh, some of the people who are kind of knee-jerk pro-Rothschild are that way because they believe the Rothschilds are Jewish and are very successful and that this is some kind of attack on successful Jews in the financial world, right? So let's go ahead and debunk that. I consider the Rothschilds, at least some of their leading members, uh, to be a cultist. I can't uh, agree more with that, dude. I tell people that this religious... You don't have to show this yet, uh uh, uh, Aaron, uh, I can't, I can't agree more with that. I am telling you this, that I don't believe it's Judaism or, or Christianity that I 100% believe it's the dark arts. Yeah. Uh, so a number of researchers believed, uh, that they're involved in Luciferian practices. And this is something that I would have laughed at a couple of years ago. I'm not laughing anymore. You know, in John Podesta's WikiLeaks, Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, I've now said this on my YouTube channel too many times to count, but Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman uh, was receiving personalized invitations, like, hey, John, make sure you come out to this, that sort of thing, uh, to satanic spirit cooking events uh, where effigies of young children, you know, little statuettes of little children, are covered in actual blood and actual sperm and actual breast milk. And although some people claim that this is all just private art, it's performance art, there's no doubt that there is a satanic overtone. And a lot of this stuff is occult in nature. It is, again, as you said, it's not Christian, it's not Judaic. But that's where the pro-Rothschild stuff comes from, is people are like, oh, you're just ganging up. You're ganging up on successful Jews. Well, as somebody who's Jewish myself, that's clearly not the case, right? So I think what happened, basically, the short story, uh, is that the Rothschild family, uh, to give people a backgrounder, uh, the first Rothschild uh, started in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, and uh, he was discriminated against because he was Jewish. Uh, he had to live in this ghetto, which was the only part of the city where they could buy real estate at the time. And so he set up his, his uh, kind of emerging bank because he was trading coins and he was trading you know, precious things. He set up his emerging bank in this tiny little, uh, you know, this tiny little shithole uh, in the ghetto part of Frankfurt. This was in the 1700s but was clearly very smart. There is something brilliant about this man. He was doing he was stuff like, very early, right? Like, I mean, we're talking like way, way working early, at the banks early. at like 13 years old. Like he was interning at banks at like a very, very young age. Yeah, he, he was definitely a prodigy uh, and, and, and saw ahead in terms of like uh, banking in Europe at the time was very disjointed uh, and there was really nobody in charge. And he and his family saw just, you know, all these competitive advantages where they could take advantage and increase the speed of information uh, and trade on it. So uh, then his his uh, so then he has uh, children, obviously, and their wealth intensifies even more. And it's almost like think about how much uh, wealth and influence Mark Zuckerberg uh, has gained over the last 10 years just by being kind of ahead of the curve on social media, right? Like yes. he, he has Facebook and then he's smart enough to buy Instagram. At the time, everybody balks, right? Oh, you're paying a billion dollars. What are you, some fucking idiot? 
Well, now it's worth like 20 times that. So very smart in social media hey. for only the past for only the past 10 years. And he's already one of the most you know influential people in the world. Imagine 300 years from now, his descendants, if all of them only focus on one thing, if they just focus on social media for the next 300 years, already owning Facebook and already owning Instagram, like that could be a lot of influence, right? Well, the Rothschild clan basically realized that money, uh, you know, money is like a form of social network and they figured out how to corner the market on money, on paper currency. Uh, and so they've been doing that. And uh, as of a couple hundred years ago, members of the Rothschild clan were bragging uh, quite credibly. This was hundreds of years ago. They were bragging that they effectively controlled the British money supply. So if that's where they were at back then, where might this secretive family be at now? And there's actually like a real push to delegitimize discussion of the Rothschilds. Like, oh, that's preposterous. Well, is it preposterous? Because when you look into this stuff, it actually uh, it checks out, right? Like Lynn Rothschild, Lady Rothschild, is the publisher of The Economist magazine, one of the most influential magazines in Europe, and very anti-Trump, very pro-Hillary. Uh, this woman, Lady Rothschild, hosted a super exclusive $100,000 per plate fundraiser for Hillary. Think about how much money that is, like a four-year education for one plate of food, basically $100,000. Uh, and of course, in the emails that were leaked, Hillary Clinton is kind of a bitch to most people. Yeah. She responds in these two-word replies, like, please print, or interesting, or good. Uh, and then Lady Rothschild, this flowery prose, let me know what penance I owe you, as ever yours, H. Yeah, 100%, dude. 100%. Now, I want to get into this because the Clintons, uh, a lot of people don't talk about this, and the people know do, that in the 90s, the Clinton administration deregulated the media for no reason. Nobody knew why they did it. They're like, why are you doing this? It makes no sense. So when the Clinton comes in the office, 90% uh, of the media is owned by 100 companies. Once a deregulation happens where they basically, there was a law that said within one market, no one company can own two of uh, radio, television, or newspaper. Okay? You can't own all of them. Now... Six companies own 90% of the media within the United States or the world, okay? Now, one family company owns 20% of each one of those companies. So one family owns 20% of all the media. And what family do you think that is? The Rothschilds. They own part of everything. Control well, they the own, so they're investors in Reuters. Uh, I believe they're investors in the Associated Press, Fox uh, News, these, ABC. These, these are still the mainline, you know, these are still the mainline ways that people in the West get their information, the AP and Reuters. And yeah, I think as a result, the Rothschilds are intentionally kept out of the press unless they want to be in. And this conspiracy theory is one that just checks out. You know, I'm a person who this is what I do for a living is research things and then share it on on the internet. And of course, I've figured out how to make enough money from it from, you know, a premium newsletter and ads like everybody else. You figure out how to make it work. But this is what I do is like vet things. So I'm like a like a walking Snopes, right? I think Snopes has recently been a total failure. But oh, like, they're I'm like so they're so uh, biased. It's unbelievable. And I love that people 
fucking hate WikiLeaks and everything they do, but totally deep throw everything that fucking <laughs> that that Snopes says. It's unbelievable. Aaron, can yeah. we go a little longer? No, okay. what, what happens when I go out to dinner with some of my friends who are not yet fully red-pilled and I start to bring up some of this stuff, they're like, dude, I don't want to hear it. It's already been on Snopes. It's been debunked. And I'm like, what's been debunked? All Snopes will do a lot of the time is just go through the claims and be like, false. And you're yeah, like, okay, you just they just Google shit as they're taking yeah. care of their 20 <laughs> cats that they fucking own. <laughs> Those two people own about 40 fucking cats. They fucking live in a trailer. They don't even vet their researchers. You got to be like, hey, I want to I want to be on fucking snow. Okay, got a job. Start Thursday. <laughs> Everything is pro-democrat. Given, given, uh, given the Soros money that they might be receiving, I don't think they live in a trailer. But no, I have heard they own a lot of cats, right? Yeah. That's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into Pizzagate. Uh, okay, I want to say is, is Pizzagate a label that is equivalent to global warming, where people can f basically go, okay, are you telling me that they're diddling kids in the basement of a pizza shop? Oh, oh my, we you know when it snows in fucking Arizona, everyone's like, ha so much for global warming, it's snowing in Arizona. Get the fuck out of here. When the real thing is pedogate and the real thing is, uh, is uh, climate change. Well, what happened with the... What happened with the term Pizzagate, I'll explain that in one sec, but just real fast, I want to tell your viewers and listeners, if you have any doubts about what, what Sam and I are saying about the Rothschild family, uh, just go to WikiLeaks.org, uh, contrary to what people on CNN have said, it's not illegal in America to read WikiLeaks. Just go to WikiLeaks.org, <laughs> scroll, scroll down quite a bit on their homepage, click on the Hillary Clinton email archive. Uh, and you can then, once you're on that email archive, you can search by email ID. Click on that, search for email ID number 1606-1606, because that's the private exchange between Lady Rothschild and Hillary Clinton. While Hillary Clinton is employed as the Secretary of State of the United States, and that email, uh, even according to some of the closest people that I, I interact with, it makes no fucking sense. It's so far outside of how we expected the world to work that it makes no sense for a secretary of state to be basically groveling to a random private citizen and to also be sharing, you know, the whereabouts of another world leader, this private information. Why is she sharing this? Who the fuck is this woman, Lynn Rothschild? And as it turns out, she's, you know, the matriarch of the Rothschild clan. And there is something to this conspiracy, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, no, to answer to answer the Pizzagate thing, what they actually did. Uh, so Hillary Clinton's people, once they saw this going viral, they started pushing through some of the media outlets that will run their shit. They started pushing this idea that Pizzagate is the claim that Hillary Clinton at night, you know, slaughters and rapes kids or whatever in the basement of a pizza shop. And that was never the claim. Pizzagate originally was actually the claim that throughout John Podesta's emails, uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman is talking about pizza and hot dogs in a way that is not specific enough to be real pizza or hot dogs. Or what kind? Was it pepperoni? Was it fucking sausage? Like, from where? Where did you get it from? It's always just pizza. So researchers started to think, like, this is a code language. This is like somebody ordering broccoli when they want weed, right? They're, they're not right. really talking about broccoli. It's a code for something. Well, so, I mean, didn't like uh, uh, Barack Obama, and God forbid you question black Jesus, but didn't even black Jesus order $50,000 worth of pizza at some point? 
Like there's so yeah. Much... So according to an older <clears throat> WikiLeaks email, uh, an email from 2009 in a different WikiLeaks batch, I still don't know what to make of this one because it's just so incredibly fucked up. But they say that Obama, uh, this intelligence firm is talking about Obama, and they say that he spent sixty-five thousand dollars flying in pizza and dogs for a private event at the White House. And that didn't make sense to researchers, not only because that's too much money for pizza and hot dogs. Yeah, uh, you're not that's allowed a lot of pineapple on your pizza. He's apparently not allowed to just bring in food whenever he wants because the food is supposed to be vetted and prepared by the White House kitchen and the White House chef. All these very obvious you know, security procedures that make a lot of sense to me. Uh, so where the fuck are these pizza and hot dogs coming from? Yeah. So, uh, so what's funny is I was talking to somebody who... Uh, gives me good advice and is you know very close to me and uh, I was talking to them and I was like you know what's good is that YouTube is no longer censoring me because my views went from like five to six thousand views when I was being censored which is really weird like I have 150,000 YouTube subscribers why are less than six percent of my own subscribers viewing my shit it doesn't make any sense so it shot back up now it's on average more than 20,000 a view I mean more than 20,000 a video and so I told this friend of mine who consults me on certain areas, look, at least they're not censoring me anymore. And I was like, to be honest, what I'm saying is not all that controversial. Why were they doing that to begin with? And he's like, Dave, you put up a video that went viral outlining how you think Barack Obama is a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, look, I got to go where the data leads. There is this email. Am I saying that I'm certain he's a pedophile? Absolutely not. There's an email that needs further explanation because you're using taxpayer money to fly in what and what about a, what amount of money for a private party? Even if this is just drugs, that's still troubling. But, you know, I've contact I've been in contact with various law enforcement. They don't think it's drugs. They think these are terms uh, used by child predators. These food terms are used to cover up what they're actually talking about, which is various kinds of kids, unfortunately. Let's get into the history. Now, people want to be like Clinton. The Clintons are leading a, a, a pedophile ring of uh, child predators. <laughs> I'm not saying that's just the Clintons. What I am saying is there is this deep state out there that uses this stuff in my opinion, allegations, I mean, allege allegedly, I think they use this stuff to blackmail politicians into doing what they want to do. And it's part of the dark arts that we had talked about. And in my opinion, and I'll get your opinion on this, is the reason they do this is almost how gangs jump in members of, hey, you got to go murder somebody so that we have something on you. If you, if you have something on us, so we have something on each other, meaning you can't just run to the cops going, this shit's happening because we have this film of doing this. Now, I was just having a conversation with a comedian at the comedy store, and he was talking to me about how this one huge television and movie producer would throw cocaine hooker parties, and he would film everything. So when he was in negotiation with you, he would go, hey, we want you to sign for this. They'd be like, I ain't signed for that. He's like, oh, really? Here's this video of you doing coke off a trainee hooker's ass. Uh, okay, I'll sign the thing. I believe that this is part of the deep state, the CIA, Mossad, and all these other uh, MI5, is it called? MI5, who are uh, use this stuff to um, blackmail people. Thought on, thoughts on that? Am I way off? Am I, is that part of it? Or am I just fully retarded? No, that, that's exactly what's happening. So part of it is ideological. 
uh, some members of what's known as the New World Order, uh, really are batshit crazy and really do believe psychopaths. That, you know, yeah, psychopaths who believe that harming children may unlock certain certain kinds of cosmic energy. That's not my belief. That's their belief, right? So these people actually believe that these rituals can, you know, help them in business or help them win an election or win a war, whatever it is. Some of these sickos really believe that. But the overwhelming structure behind this stuff is what you said. It's blackmail. And uh, this, this has been corroborated. So Mike Cernovich, uh, that guy has a White House press pass. Uh, and uh, he's the one who uh, they believe his basic. He's the one who basically uh, did the reporting on Susan Rice being the unmasker. Uh, so he's broken some big stories this year. And he has said with certainty that there are people in the deep state uh, who the people who manage the polygraph tests for new hires at certain intelligence agencies, uh, he has said with certainty uh, that he's been told by sources that uh, those people are basically vetting uh, only for pedophiles. They, wa they only want you if they can blackmail you. If you're an honest person yeah. with relatively normal, relatively normal sexual inclinations, that's not good enough anymore because once you learn, once you learn all the deep shit, you could just turn around and become an Edward Snowden, right? right. To keep you there. So the only people they want for these hires, and this is so sick to think about, right? But Trump is apparently trying to get new blood in there, trying to get new people in, and they're failing the tests because they don't want anybody who's not a pedo. Yeah. So what, what actually happened a long time ago, uh, the CIA and other deep state intelligence services, uh, they realized that just getting a video of some politician getting a blowjob or a handjob out of wedlock, that no longer cuts it, right? Like, yeah. That might actually today, in today's you know anything goes YouTube world, if you're a young senator and you're on camera getting a blowjob from an intern, uh, your popularity might skyrocket. Yeah. Who knows? Right? Train wreck uh, publicity. Legal weed, like just be super honest, kind of postmodern society. So it could actually help you, but it's certainly not. It's not the all-encompassing piece of blackmail uh, that it used to be. So they went much deeper. And uh, what is what is darker or worse than having on camera uh, a politician abusing a child? That is the ultimate blackmail material. And that is what they believe uh, has been captured on a number of these people. And that's why they're acting so squirrely about this stuff, is some people in the media have been captured, have been, you know, recorded doing very creepy things that would immediately uh, lead to career consequences and lead to basically their whole audience uh, leaving them if that shit was to come out. And there's similar stuff on leading politicians. And okay. So that's, that's what it's about. So let's get into something real quick. Let's focus on the history of the Clintons. Now, I, in my personal opinion, believe the Clintons are one of the most destructive things ever happened to the United States, from deregulation of the media to um, to free trade, NAFTA, and um, the, now we're starting to learn that Pablo Escobar smuggling drugs through Arkansas, the the drug war, and then the crime bill. Well, thank, of thank you, thank you. You just mentioned you mentioned the big issue that I have with the Clintons, aside from all the pedo satanic shit, right? The big issue, like from a normal perspective, right? If I'm talking to somebody who's not red pilled at all, the issue I have with the Clintons is they absolutely ramped up the war on drugs, ramped up the war on cannabis. Uh, as recently as months ago, Chelsea Clinton, who is now a 36-year-old woman, she should know her shit by now, and she was saying marijuana kills people. So the Clintons have been tremendous uh, attackers of cannabis and other plants, and they've really, look at the numbers, right? Like more than a half million 
uh, Americans have been imprisoned at some point for weed use, and these private prisons bloomed under the Clinton administration. And when I was a kid, uh, I thought the Clintons were cool, right? There was all this economic prosperity. There were dot-coms that were raising all this fucking money. Uh, I remember somebody from NASA came to my school, and they showed off the Hubble Space Telescope. And so the Clintons, in my opinion back then, uh, they were associated with the tech boom. They were associated with America doing well, with NASA doing all this cool new stuff. And now it comes out what they're actually about. You know, if I had any idea they were this powerful, I don't fully know if I would have gone after them to this extent. Oh, I they're they crazy, just, dude. I thought they were just over-the-hill hacks. I had no idea that they owned like, She's a Sith people. fucking lord. Why, does he, why do you think he looks like he's fucking dying, dude? Because he knows that, like, what they've been doing. Let's start off. I don't know what his first... Uh, I'm going to start off with just Laura Silsby. Is that her name? Hey, hold, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Don't, don't let me forget this. So you keep saying she's a Sith lord. So it's funny. The man who went to prison for hacking Hillary Clinton's emails and allegedly sending them to WikiLeaks. The authorities found this man. They promptly put him in prison. Uh, and from prison, he wrote a letter uh, saying that the thing that people have to know, keep in mind, this is the guy who gave up his liberty to hack this woman. He says, the thing you have to know is that Hillary Clinton is a member. Uh, she's a high priestess in a secret order. This is what, like, he might be a crazy guy, but anybody smart enough to hack Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, is not a dumb person. And this is what he's saying is like the core takeaway from her emails is she's basically a high priestess of some kooky what is his name? order. What is his name? Uh, Guccifer 2.0. Oh, okay. Okay. So there's, uh, so there's definitely something going on here. There's something weird, and it, you can feel it, you can sense it. I think people. Uh, they almost cringe when they hear her talk for an extended amount of time because there's a kind of low energy that she taps into, a kind of anger and fear. Uh, that that's what she's about. Let's <laughs> let's get in to uh, Haiti happens, right? That horrible. I don't know what year it is. Haiti happens. Uh, the earthquake. The place is devastated. Uh, in comes the Clinton Foundation to help people. One of the people who's working for the Clinton Foundation is a woman named Laura Selsbury. Am I right? Is that how I say the last name? I'm known for butchering names, but let's go into it. Silsby, S-I-L-S-B-Y, okay? She gets, basically she goes with these Christians over there to help everybody, representing a foundation that's helping the children. She she instantly gets arrested for child trafficking because they were crabbing kids off of the street. Kids who actually have parents, just jacking kids, about 30 to 40 children, right? She gets represented by a gentleman named Jorge Polano, P-U-E-L-L-O, who later himself gets convicted for child trafficking, okay? Uh, he basically, okay, so he represents Laura Selsby. Laura Selsby gets convicted of child trafficking. She is actually tried and convicted and does time. She gets out of jail after who comes in? Bill Clinton. She's working for the Clinton Foundation. Her, her company that she represents actually works for the Clinton Foundation. And she actually gets help from Bill Clinton has to fly in to Haiti to get her out of jail. Oh my God. She's now going by another name, and I can't find a name right now. She actually goes by another name, and she is working for, guess what? 
Amber Alert. You can't even write that. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? It's like a bad uh, script. I'm going to let you in on something, Sam. Uh, Please. And this this is not so. This is not me advocating mob rule. This is not me advocating vigilante justice. I don't believe in either of those things, right? None of us are Batman. I believe only in the rule of law. With that said, I have some pretty good sources. And uh, some of these sources believe that when the public fully understands how fucked this stuff is, uh, the result is going to be special public trials and then mass executions. And it's going to be led by the U.S. government and other governments. It's not going to be like Mad Max. But the government, to satisfy public anger, is going to do uh, basically you know, special public trials of some of these people just because the outrage is going to be like after World War II, right? You had to have Nuremberg. Yes. We need something similar because this is actually real, unfortunately. Uh, you know how many people, uh, a woman, a woman who works at Amber Alerts, you know how many children in her past she should have attempted to traffic? Fucking zero, not 30, right? So uh, there's definitely something going on. And I've been told, again, good sources. And I'm not, I'm not inciting any kind of violence because the way that I've been told it's going to go down, the government itself will administer these trials, and it's going to be the rule of law, the court system. But people are going to demand executions. I mean, these are very bad people who've been basically throwing it in our faces, uh, all but throwing it in our faces. And, yeah, that's, you know, it's not pleasant to think about, but that's the outcome. And it'll probably allow people to restart. It'll allow society to move forward, because otherwise this will tear the world apart. This is an ugly... uh, well, there's more to this. There is more to this. And I want to get into this real quick. I want to play this. I hope you can he hear what I play. Okay, we'll see if you can hear this. I want to play this. A lot of people don't like to hear, don't believe anything that they don't hear from MSNB and anything that doesn't have the three lettered, three, the alphabet news organization. If it doesn't come from an alphabet news organization, they don't believe it. So I'm going to play something. If you can't hear it, David, just, it's not going to be that long. I'm just, just bear with me for a second. So here it is, we'll guys. Do. This is from NBC. It's breaking news out of Washington. Some serious allegations this morning facing the State Department. That's right. According to internal State Department memos, the agency might have called off or intervened in investigation into possibly illegal and inappropriate behavior within its ranks, allegedly to protect jobs and avoid scandals. This concerns the time that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. We want to get right to NBC's Chief White House correspondent Chuck Todd with the latest. Chuck, good morning to you. Good morning, Savannah. You know, there's an old saying in Washington that the cover-up is worse than the crime. But in this case, both parts of it are disturbing. Allegations of prostitution and pedophilia and allegations that those crimes were somehow covered up or not looked into. So the State Department this morning is having to respond to those claims and those investigations above uh, misconduct by State Department officials, including by an ambassador and security agents attached to then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. And the allegations are that these investigations were whitewashed, quashed altogether, and that those orders came from high up. NBC News has obtained documents related to ongoing investigations into some disturbing allegations involving State Department personnel and at least one ambassador. A State Department memo says the ambassador, quote, routinely ditched his protective security detail in order to solicit sexual favors from both prostitutes and minor children. 
The memo also says a top State Department official directed department investigators to, quote, cease the investigation into the ambassador's conduct. It's just one of what another document describes as, quote, several examples of undue influence from top state officials. Okay, there we go. Okay, I can go on. Now, David, if you couldn't hear that, that was actually the NBC report on Hillary Clinton shutting down the pedophile investigation at the State Department. Uh, you, oh, I've, I've seen that clip, Today Show, right? Yes, yeah, yes, yes. So, I mean, like, there you go. You got yourself uh, an alphabet news organization covering this story. Now, if you try to Google that, it will shut. It won't take it. It'll say didn't find anything. Uh, that is no more censorship. That is another connection of the Clintons to this whole pedophile ring thing going on. Well, let me just tell you a couple of things that I've been told, which is that. Uh, you know, Tenement Square, part of the reason why even to this day, even though it happened in 1989, uh, the reason why to this day it is censored in China by their, uh, you know, their great firewall and all this stuff, they don't allow content discussing that event. The reason why is that that will kind of unravel confidence. If young people in China in their 20s see images of a person being run over by a tank and of this kind of violent crackdown, then it's over, right? Then there's a new wave of people who are pissed off. As a result, your average Chinese person in their 20s or early 30s has no idea that that event even took place because it would be that damaging to the continued grasp that their government has. And the equivalent of that in the West is pedogate and is the fact that some wealthy families uh, traffic children. I wish that wasn't the truth. It's despicable. But that's what these people do. And they had a choice, right? They could have spent their money just on private jets and country clubs. And they could have built, you know, auditoriums for universities and shit like that. And they chose to do this. So now it's society's role uh, to bring them down. And I've known since January that at the federal level this is being investigated. So uh, it's uh, definitely um, it's going to be a big deal. I'm going to get into this. I want to talk about one more thing, two more things that connect it and get your thoughts on it. So during the president election, during the presidential election, uh, grab her by the pussy became huge. Everybody's flipping out. This guy's grabbing her by the pussy. Why Bill Clinton is stumping for his wife. Bill Clinton at one point, and there is actual records of it, and I'll show you the records right here. It's in, involved in this. If you look at the screen, uh, I know you can't, uh, David, but you probably have seen this. The records of Bill Clinton ditching his security and jumping on the Lolita Express with Jeffrey Epstein 26 times going to what they call pedo, what would you call it? They call it Orgy Island. Orgy Island or Kid Fucking Island. That's where they're going 26 times. I've had discussions with people about this, and they go, just because he's on it, just because he's on that flight doesn't mean he did something. There's a saying in recovery goes, if you go to a, 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 a barbershop enough, you're going to get a haircut. Uh, yeah, look, well, look, look at just, just, as, uh, just as the normal amount, just as the amount of times that somebody uh, hired by uh, Amber Alert System uh, in their past they should have zero child abuse convictions. They should have zero cases of child trafficking, right? In this case, if you're going to be a leader of the free world, if you're going to be an upstanding person, a number of verified trips you should have had to Pedophile Island, fucking zero, not 26. Yeah, so, yeah, there's zero. something going on here where it's like, you know, again, this goes back to the code language that people couldn't believe. All right, well, it's not any kind of pizza they're talking about. 
They're not getting it from any specific restaurant. So it's clearly a code language. When somebody's in Alabama, again, texting for a half gram or whatever, texting for an eighth of broccoli, it's not really broccoli they're after. So when he's hanging out on the Lolita Express and flying back and forth to Pedo Island, is he just great friends with Jeffrey Epstein? Well, maybe, but that's beside the point because the destination of that flight is a place called Pedo Island. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna we're running out of time, but I want to get into these last things, Aaron, and then we'll get out of here. Okay, so we have this whole. Here's another connection. So this big thing's going on. They're trying to convince everybody that Pizzagate is bullshit. So all of a sudden, this guy is so angry, he walks into Comet Ping Pong with a gun, demanding answers. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on with this, okay? Now, first of all, this guy is, who is this guy? Well, he worked for, him and his father worked for Beyond Borders, okay? Which is all about, what is Beyond Borders all about? about stopping child fucking, uh, child fucking, okay, and child trafficking. Here's an interesting thing. Where is P Beyond Borders located? On the same street as fucking Comic Ping Pong, okay? Who funds Beyond Borders? The Clinton Foundation, okay? Now, who is, what is, okay, real quick, who is... Uh, hold on, hold on. Here we. Nope, that's not it. Where's my pedal gate? Uh, all the my pedal gate stuff. Okay, who, who is James Anafidis's lawyer? His lawyer is Andrew Klein, who works for the government agency that's meant to stop child trafficking. Here's a fun thing. Who owns that's the pizza that's down the street? From Comic Ping Pong. Andrew Klein. All on the same street, dude. All on the same street. Way too weird. Way too weird, right? Way too weird. Well, well here's, here's the weirdest thing. Comet Pizza uh, is a restaurant. So for people who don't know, Comet Pizza initially came up because it's actually in John Podesta's emails because they've done fundraisers at Comet Pizza. And Hillary... Uh, Hillary has sent a hand-signed letter before thanking Comet Pizza's owners, uh, thanking James Alephantis for, you know, these fundraisers they've held there. So that's the connection, is that they've held these political fundraisers and events there, and it's mentioned in the emails multiple times. And so Comet Pizza, uh, the owner of that restaurant is James Alephantis. Uh, GQ magazine named him the 49th most influential man in Washington, D.C., uh, the current population of D.C., of Metro D.C., is above 670,000 people. So in a city of 670,000 people, uh, this owner of a, a divey pizza shop uh, is the 49th most powerful. And for some reason, according to White House visitor logs, uh, visited the Obama White House at least five times and hung out with Obama personally at least one of those times. So this man, James Elephantis, is somehow so powerful uh, in general, especially in a city like D.C., you have to provide something to the powerful to become influential yourself, right? Either information or media coverage. What is it that this pizza shop has to offer some of the most powerful people in the world? What is it that he what business does he have with President Obama at the White House? And so where things get really dark is they came across James Alephantis's personal Instagram. The username is Jimmy Comet. Which makes sense, right? Because James, yeah. uh, Jimmy is a nickname for James, yeah. and Comet 
name of his restaurant. So if you go on Google image search to this day and you do a search for Jimmy Comet space, you know, Instagram, a number of people have taken screenshots of his account, which has since been taken private or has been taken down. And those images are just inexplicable. I've eaten at probably hundreds of pizza restaurants. Never have I come across marketing materials where it's just a bunch of images of babies with their mouths wide open. And some of his comments are so bizarre. Uh, comments like hotard, which is a contraction for ho and retard, and what, what, and butt. A picture of a baby, and the hashtag is what, what, and the butt. And then another one, uh, they're just so disturbing. I'm not yeah. going to go through all of them because you can just Google them. Google them. It, Google, what should they stuff. Google? What should they Google again? Uh, Jimmy Comet, one word, and then uh, Instagram. And you'll see his Instagram account images. There is another image of a baby uh, unsecured in what appears to be the back of an SUV or uh, you know a station wagon or something. A baby unsecured. And uh, somebody comments on his Instagram that the baby needs a crate. Well, that's a little weird. The baby doesn't need a fucking crate. It's not an animal. It yeah. needs a proper seat. Yeah. It doesn't need a crate. It's, it's not so a dog. And, and Alephantis responds soft bones exclamation mark exclamation mark i don't know of any adult men in my social circle who would respond to that comment with soft bones yeah there's something here that just makes me uneasy to the point that you know i've spent months talking about it. there's something wrong here it's not just conspiracy nonsense right so <laughs> creepy do you think there's any truth to the french uh, description of what his name means jamais les fantes which is i love children yeah, I, I've seen that. I've seen that before uh, written up. I don't know if there's any connection there. What I do know is that people who are in this secret society, they love to mock and to hint at their crimes. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know for a fact if he changed his name, but I do know there are unconfirmed reports uh, in the research community that he might be a Rothschild himself. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. So final thing, because we got to jam, because Aaron's got to get home to stuff, cars, pizza. Uh, Anthony Weiner, his computer, is it the smoking gun that they, they uh, that the New York PD has? They won't give it up, and you know FBI's been begging for it, and that's his whole thing with Comey. Now, full disclosure, Donald Trump was also going to be was going to be uh he actually had to do deposition for uh jeffrey epstein i have to put that out because i know that people are going to go well what about trump on that blah 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 full disclosure he was i supposedly did a deposition in his trial so it's definitely possible thoughts on that so uh i think that anthony weiner and his conviction and the laptop they seized I believe that is the smoking gun, not only in the sense that it has evidence on it, but in the sense that if you're stuck on an elevator with somebody, uh, you're stuck on an elevator with someone who thinks Pizzagate is total bullshit, all I have to tell them in 30 seconds is Anthony Weiner, the husband of Huma Abedin, who is the personal aide to Hillary Clinton, when Hillary was at the State Department, the personal aide of Hillary Clinton is currently married to a convicted pedophile. I mean, what yeah. more do you need? One hundred percent. Believe there's something to this, and some of the texts that he sent, uh, some of the texts that he sent to this 15-year-old girl, uh, were so sick that he deserves his prison term, no doubt. I don't think it's enough of a prison term. So I think that is a smoking gun. The whole thing is that Comey wasn't investigating it, dragging his feet, that this is yep. a whole thing. There is a connection to Trump with Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein. So I'm waiting to see. 
uh, what goes on. But Anthony Weiner's conviction, and my opinion is he pled down to the 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 simplest thing you could plead down to, which was sexting with a minor, in which they can hang they can hang a uh, a fucking felony on him. He's gonna do very little time, if any, and he's gonna fucking. He's going to flip over. In my opinion, how long that takes, I do not know. Do not expect it to be talked about on the mainstream media. You can go to your website if breaking news happens, and uh, which, again, is fulcrummedia.com. It's uh, fulcrumnews.com. Fulcrumnews.com. You can check it out. David Seaman, thank you so much. This was one of my favorite episodes. You were a great interview. Anytime you're in L.A. or anytime you want to talk about anything, you have an open door to come on our podcast. Thanks, Sam. Uh, It was great knowing you when I was in L.A. uh, several years ago. And thanks for giving us a platform. I think this is pretty much all people are going to be talking about. You know, Russiagate. They tried to get us all hyped up. And they're still doing it. No, Unbelievable. Yeah, on, on something that had no meat on the bones, whereas this, there's too much meat. There's too much there. So I think people are going to be talking for a long time. Last question, just real quick, yes or no. Is the Seth Rich murder, which I believe is uh, connected to the DNC, is it in a weird way shift focus from Pedogate? That's a good question. I haven't thought about that. I think, uh, I think they're concerned about both, right? Because if they get tied to a murder, that's bad for them. And if they get tied to child trafficking, uh, that's even worse. So I think they're trying to cover up both. Thank you uh, for coming on, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. When you're in L.A., please let us know. One more time for David Seaman. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Great show. Am I right, Aaron? Uh, thoughts. I, I always love to, to get Aaron's final thoughts. Final thoughts, Aaron. Uh, What? Yes, thank you. <laughs> Final thoughts. This finally, I think, gave some legitimacy. Oh, sorry. To bye, David. I'm trying to hang up. Bye, buddy. <laughs> sorry. Oh, is it me? All right. Bye. Take care, Thanks, man. Dave. Bye. <laughs> Great show. Final thoughts, Aaron. He, I mean, I know it was very early on, but he kind of lost me when he said there were no mass shootings uh, in Colorado. Oh, uh, but that yeah. was it. And I wanted to call him, I wanted to say something about that. But yes, Colorado. Yes, yeah, good point. Clearly. So you checked out early. Everything <laughs> after that was bullshit. Also, when you guys went shooting without me, I was kind of like... Aaron, I mean, you're in. I we'll mean, ask you. <laughs> From now on, if we do anything, Aaron, you are being uh, asked. Here is the new Here is the new Twitter account. It's Tim Hat Pod. It's at MadHatter39ers. Uh, please follow it. I want to get in the old one, but I say fuck it. I'm just going to keep building this one. Guys... Great episode. Ryan, I know you didn't talk a lot, but you sat there. We did research. Uh, uh, thoughts, final thoughts. Oh, man, he articulates it so well. He gave legitimacy to our podcast. Yes. This is a journalist. This isn't just some guy that wrote a book, some crazy guy that's putting out his film. Not that we don't want you. But let me just tell you, everything he had to say, you're like, this is one of the things I said I don't want to talk about, like, on the podcast. You I, were very scared yeah. to do this episode. You're afraid of retribution. Yeah, there's there's a, a trail of bodies that oh, follows Oh, we didn't talk this. about his sister. Right. I mean, his girlfriend. Yeah, let's leave it at yeah, let's let's leave let, that. Yeah, like, let's leave it at that. Aaron, Aaron, do you see the fear in the young William Defoe's face? Hey, I, I don't see the fear. I just see love. Okay. I, I, <laughs> Subscribe, guys. iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Google Play. Tweet at All Things Comedy. Tell them how much you love this podcast. Tweet at Sam. Don't ever try to find me. You can't find yeah. him. Can't. But besides that, you know what? We would be doing this 
in a par- in a parking lot by ourselves annoying like homeless people but instead we do this because we have passion for it and you guys are feeling it so thank you so much for all the positive Ray and review and guys go to freeway ricky ross and tweet that guy that he has to do our podcast we're getting 20,000. We're getting up. Th- We've had episodes get over 20,000 on this for a brand new episode between our, our, our iTunes, our YouTubes, and everything. Getting over 20,000. This is a brand new podcast. We want to bump it up even more. Our goal is to get up to 50,000. But we need you, you guys, you fucking level 39ers. You got to fucking do it. Hit Freeway Ricky Ross. Just tell him, dude, the podcast is the shit. We'll promote all your stuff. We need Freeway Ricky Ross because we have to talk about the heroin epidemic and the role of the government in that in protecting these poppy fields. Yes. All right, dude. You guys are the best. Uh, We're working hard. Keep suggesting people. Keep suggesting podcast topics because we're going to do it. We're doing the best we can whenever we can. We have that outro. Oh, yeah, we got the outro music. Don't forget the outro music, motherfucker. Guys, we love this. We keep wanting to do it. Let's keep rocking. Global controls will Guys, thank you so much. Keep uh, keep making it go. Keep, go. keep loving us because we love you. And uh, never stop. Never stop believing. We're going to go deep. Now you'll see them too. Guys, remember, support your local rebellion, and we'll see you next week. We're talking fucking making it a murderer with John Cameron, who believes it was a serial killer. He did it. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hat, Tim foil hat, Tim foil hat, Tim foil hat.